Hey, welcome to Journey. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Ken, and I'm so glad you're here. I've already this morning met several of you that are here for the very first time. We're so glad that you guys are here, and uh, to echo Pastor Aaron, make sure you've all filled out a connection card this morning. Everybody, not just the first-timers, but everybody in the room that you've filled one of those out. Hey, um, we have been in a series since the beginning of summer called Think Like Jesus, and if you're new, we're going to bring you up to speed real quick. But Think Like Jesus, this series is so important because our thinking has gotten so broken, hasn't it? In fact, the truth of the matter is just even growing up in a healthy home, your, your family of origin, your experience in school, your experience with your friends, the things that we watch, the things that we look at online, it is all affecting our thinking. And, and before long, we're indoctrinated into a way of thinking. I'm not talking about political indoctrination even. I'm just talking about the way that we think about other people, the way we view ourselves, the way we view God, the way we view all these. It's broken, and so when we humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm sin-stained and sin-covered, and I'm so far from you. I need you. I need to surrender my life to you. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. When we come to Jesus and, and we say, Jesus, would you, would you forgive me through what you did on the cross when you took my, when, when, when you took my punishment upon yourself, would you, would you do that? that? That we begin the process. See, Jesus saves us. We're saved in that moment. But there's a journey now of beginning to think the way that God wants us to think. We need to start thinking differently. In fact, Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, to the ways of this world or the forms of this world. Don't conform. Just don't go with the flow of how this world thinks. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Rather or instead, be transformed. Well, how can I do that? How can I be transformed? I mean, I've been, I've been in this. This has been part of me for all these years. How can I be different? How can I be transformed? And Paul gives the answer in Romans 12 too. He says, by the renewing of your mind. That, what, what does that mean? It means I've got to start thinking differently because my thoughts are broken. And as I think differently, as I renew my mind with the truth of God's word, through the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is bringing this truth back to me, the truth that I've spent time reading and memorizing and meditating upon, as I, as I put the word of God inside of me, and as the Holy Spirit reminds me of those words, I begin to think differently. And listen, this is so important for your marriages. It's so important for your families. It's so important for your workplace. It's so important for our community. This is so important for our nation. What if followers of Jesus began to think like Jesus instead of thinking like everybody else around us who all that systems are broken? So how do we think like Jesus? Well, we started at the very beginning of the summer with Matthew chapter 5. We started in verse 1. We worked our way through chapter 5. We've worked our way through chapter 6. And today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles or scroll on your, uh, you know, on your devices with your Bible app. Scroll to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to be in verse 1. I'm going to give you plenty of time because I want you to find this for yourselves. I want you to see. I'm going to read some things today. And you're going to go, oh, you are making that up. No, I want you to see that these are the words of Jesus. So please look, look at this for yourself in your own Bibles. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And I'm going to give you plenty of time to get there. While you're turning there, today we're going to, we've been looking at all these different ways of thinking. Today we want to look at what Jesus has to say about how we should think about judging. 
how we should think about judging. Here's the truth of the matter, and I know this to be true of every person in this room, no matter how young you are, how old you are, how educated you are, uneducated you are, everybody in this room has sat in the judge's chair. We'll call this the, the chair of the accuser, an, an accuser, a judging chair. And every one of us have sat in this chair, every single one of us. Now, judging isn't just about what we say in criticism of another person. Judging is what sometimes we think in accusation of another person. It's not just the words that we speak. We can judge without even saying a word. You, you've seen this on someone's face, haven't you? Oh, man. Have you ever been in a meeting and someone has rolled their eyes at you? They don't, even, they don't even have to say a word. Just with a posture, just with a, a sigh and a, a roll of the eyes, you know you are being judged. And we have all sat in this chair. We've all accused other people without even knowing the whole story. We've made, we've made accusations against them. We've criticized them with our words and with our thoughts. Here's what I know to be true. Everybody in this room has sat in this chair. This is the chair of the accused the person who's being judged, right? Maybe you're being judged based on what you wear. Maybe you're being judged based on your friends. Maybe you're being judged based on your tattoos. I've been in environments, I've been in environments where I think I'm being judged because I don't have any tattoos, you know? Like you're like, oh man, feeling kind of weird right now, right? <laughs> I wish I had some sleeves right about now. Like, like you, you can sit in this chair and, and it could be about anything. In fact, Here's the truth about sitting in this chair. When you are sitting in this chair and someone is accusing you and they're condemning you and criticizing you and judging you, you never, I promise you, you never get to this place where you go, you know what, I feel so small and insignificant in this moment that I think I want to change. I think I want to be more like you in this moment. You don't feel that way, do you? When you're sitting in this chair, you feel defensive. You feel... you. you, you you don't even want to hear what they have to say. In fact, you want to move as far away as you can from them, right? When you're in this chair. So, so what do we do about all this? What do we, how should we think about judging? What does Jesus have to say? Because you don't want to know how to think like Ken. You want to think like Jesus, right? So let's, let's pick up. And uh, I got to get back here. You guys are already there. In Matthew chapter 7. And let's pick up in verse 1. And... We start out with this phrase, do not judge or you too will be judged. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Let's just, let's just pause for a second. We're going to keep reading in a moment. But most of you in this room have heard this phrase before. In fact, even if you've never gone to church, just, just in, in the politics of our age and social media, have you ever had someone say, I thought you were a Christian. Christians aren't supposed to right? Like we, we, we've weaponized this phrase that Jesus says, do not judge me. So we've taken this, but, but here's the truth of the matter. If you're a student of scripture, and I don't even mean like an in-depth student of scripture, if you've ever read your Bible, you know that Jesus who just said, do not judge, you know that there is times in the gospels where Jesus judged, right? You know there's times where he even spoke out criticism against political leaders like Herod, or against the teachers of the religious law, or the scribes, or Pharisees. Like, there were times where Jesus judged. True or true? 
You're like, wait, wait, what did you just do there? Right? True, right? And if you keep reading, you'll see even after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, and you start reading in the New Testament, you're reading through the book of Acts, you'll see that there's times where the church leaders judged. And you'll see there's even a time where St. Paul, St. Paul, judged St. Peter and actually got on his case. This is in the letter to the church in Galatia. You should read. You should read your Bible. There's some cool stuff in there. St. Paul judges St. Peter because he says you're being prejudiced. There's prejudice in your heart toward other people. And he was right. And Peter was wrong. Paul judged him. So wait, wait. Jesus do not judge. What do you mean by that? Well, Jesus is about to unpack it. But in our culture, if all we ever get to is do not judge and we don't read the rest of it, then we don't understand the context of what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus, back to verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. He goes on, he says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure or with the amount or the weight that you use, it will be measured to you. So in the same way that I judge, you know, you can judge in a wrong way. Did you know that? In the same way that I judge others, I am going to be judged. And, and then he uses a metaphor that in the Greek was very clear, that he's talking about scales here. He's saying with the amount or with the weight that you judge and you criticize others, you can be certain that you also will be judged and criticized with that same exact scale, with that same amount. This should put the fear of God in us, shouldn't it? That I will be judged by others, but even, even, even further, I will be judged by my heavenly Father with the same weight and measure that I use in judging others. I think, I think if, what Jesus is saying is, don't get too comfortable in this chair. In fact, our default should be to stay out of this chair. If my default is always sitting in this chair and I get comfortable in this chair and I nitpick everybody and I criticize everybody and I'm always right and they're always wrong, Jesus, I think what he's saying here is, you better be careful. Because in that same way and with that same amount and that same weight, you, you're going to be judged. Now, the truth of the matter is, when I'm sitting in this chair of the accused, I want the benefit of the doubt, don't I? I want, when I'm sitting in this chair, I want people to cut me some slack. I want, you know, the, the other day, how many of you had basements flood over the last, uh, yeah, number of you over the last couple of days? And so the other night, 1.30 in the morning, Kyle wakes us up, and the basement's flooding, and he lives down there, so he's a vested interest uh, in, the, <laughs> in that space. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. And so, so we spend the night out. And on the next day, you know, you're, I'm, I'm an old man now. Staying up all night isn't as easy as it used to be. And so I'm just hoping that people are cutting me some slack when I'm yawning during meetings and when I'm not as sharp as I should be. And so so I, I want people to cut me some slack. I want people to maybe excuse some of my behavior. Maybe he's had a rough week. Maybe he's a little tired. You know, whatever it be. I want that from others. Then I should give that to others. With the same weight, with the same scale that I judge, I too will be judged. Jesus goes on, and he asks just a really incredible, practical question in verse 3. Here it is. Why do you look at the speck? Why do you look at the particle of sawdust that is in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank 
that is in your own eye. Now, probably most of us have heard this before because you're, you're just going, oh, yeah. That's... But if you had never heard this before, if this is the first time and you're on the mountainside and Jesus is teaching this 2,000 years ago and Jesus gets to this place and he goes, why do you care so much about this speck in your brother's eye when you got a two-by-four hanging out of your own face? Like everybody in the room would have gone or everybody on the, on the mountainside would have been like, oh, man. Oh, right? No way. He did not just say that. Rabbi Barney Kasdan states this. He says, it is interesting to note that both the splinter and the log consist of the same material. How true it is that many times we are quick to pick on our brother's fault when the same kind of sin actually exists in our own lives. You getting that? And I have found this to be so true in my life. Some of the things that I get so irritated about in other people are the things that are residing inside of me. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I'm getting so worked up about it. Here's a question to ask. Why do you care? In this moment, you're getting so amped up about this other person and, well, they shouldn't have, and, they, and I'm going to tell them, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind, blah, 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 blah. Why do you care? What is inside of you that drives you to form an opinion and judge other people? Why do you feel the necessity to examine the speck in their eye? Why do you care? A, a number of years ago, I was, I was seeing a counselor, and I was talking to him about this person in my life, and, and this person who, by the way, this isn't my wife or family members or anything like that. Uh, people, when you start saying this, people are like, I wonder who he's talking about, like, right? So I'm talking about this person, and, and this person is just, I mean, I'm just so frustrated, and I don't understand why they're responding this way, and why blah, 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 and I'm just going through this whole thing. And he's just listening because that's what good counselors do, because they're getting paid by the hour, so they're like, just keep talking. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. So he's just, he just keeps, and finally I shut up, and finally I stop and he he just pauses probably to see if I'm going to talk anymore about it and he drops this phrase he goes it sounds to me like you're jealous I was like were you even listening to anything I just said were you even listening I mean this guy like he is so frustrating and I go and he goes yeah it sounds to me like you're jealous I was like you could not be any more wrong what a horrible excuse for a counselor you are. And I got to pay you for this? It took me a couple days for the light bulb to finally go on and to be like, I think I'm jealous. <laughs> see, see, the issue wasn't this other person. It wasn't the other person's actions. It wasn't, the issue was, I'm jealous. Jesus goes on in verse 4, he says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? See, in the moment when you are convinced that this person is 100% wrong, they're living in sin, or they've got this immorality about them, or I need to correct them, I need to change that, I need to, I need to talk to them, I need to blah, blah, blah. In that moment, could you hit the pause button and ask, could there be a reflection of something that is actually inside of me that is causing me to be so amped up in this moment? Could I pause the, but, the, could I pause the button and in that moment just ask, what sin is in my life? 
In fact, in those moments, you really should pay attention to the specific emotion that their sin is eliciting inside of you because if, if, I'm, if, if their issue is making me angry, that anger isn't their issue. The anger is my issue. If it's making me jealous, the issue isn't them per se. The issue is what is inside of me that's causing me to be so jealous. Maybe I feel threatened. Maybe there's insecurity. Maybe there's fear. Whatever it is, I've got to ask the question, what is going on inside of me? Because until you strip away that anger or that jealousy or whatever emotion that is, you can't help them. In fact, your attempts to help them are actually going to drive them away, and they're going to become even more defensive Parents in this room, or, or those of you in this room, or aunts, or uncles, or grandparents, parents in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. God gives us these gifts of kids to show us all the junk that is in our own lives, right? Oh, it's just me? I guess you guys are all looking like, I have no idea what he's talking about right now. Yeah, I remember, I mean, this starts from an early age. I remember the first time one of my kids screamed in my face, no. Like, who? What? right? And especially if they did it around any of your friends. Isn't it interesting how parents so often we will respond disproportionately and it doesn't have anything to do with what they, their action, their behavior. In that moment, it's all about image management and how people perceive you. And so you get amped up and you react, you respond in a way that is totally disproportionate. Now, sideline, I believe parents should be consistent in their correction and discipline, and we need more consistent correction and discipline in our society and not less. Okay? Just want to say that. But I can also tell you, hi, my name is Ken, and there's times where I discipline my kids in a disproportionate way because of embarrassment of what other people were thinking about me in that moment. And did I do my kids good in that moment? Probably not. Now, these little toddlers grow up to be teenagers. And I love every teenager in this room. I want you to know that. I do, genuinely. I love you. God loves you. But can we just be honest? Science tells us that your brains aren't fully formed yet. Okay? I love you. You're beautiful. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. He's still forming, he's still developing that brain inside of your head. And there are times where my kids do stuff not, not any of them that are in this room right now, but the other kids. <laughs> Where my kids do things and I get so angry. And I am 100% right and they are 100% wrong, but my response is 100% wrong. I'm not wrong about the speck that is in their eye. I'm wrong because I haven't dealt with the two-by-four that is sticking out of my own face. I've got to, in the moments where I get so amped up and angry, and maybe I'm just the only one. From looking at y'all's faces, y'all are like, man, our pastor has issues. We need to look for a new one. <laughs> in those moments, first service man was getting this. I don't know. They were all like, ooh. You <laughs> I need to pay attention. I need to ask God, God, what is inside of me in this moment? Let's keep going. The next two words you'll appreciate. The next two words that he speaks in verse 5 is you hypocrite. He doesn't, he doesn't let his foot off the gas here. 
It says, you hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? In this context, a hypocrite is a person who judges someone else without first looking in the mirror. If you're too insecure or self-righteous to first look in the mirror, then Jesus says, not me, not Pastor Aaron, Jesus says that you're a hypocrite. As a church leader, I see that much of culture has written off the church as being hypocrites. In fact, you hear this all the time, right? I'm not going to go to that church. There's a bunch of hypocrites that go to that church. Well, what about this church? No, I'm not going to go to that church because that has a bunch of hypocrites in it too, right? Why is it? Why do, you, why do we hear that so much? It's not that culture can't see the specks in their own eyes. It's just that they also see the plank in our own eyes. And because we won't look first in the mirror, we lose our leverage with people who need to be addressed. Let me be clear. There are issues that need to be addressed. But because we won't deal with our own stuff, with our own issues, with the things that are glaringly obvious to everybody around us, because we won't deal with our own stuff, we lose our leverage with the people who really do need to be addressed. And this happens between fathers and sons and moms and daughters and husbands and wives and neighbor and neighbor and employee and employer and teachers and students. It happens in so many different realms. And the person in the accused chair knows that they have issues. Man, I run into this all the time. This person isn't saying, I didn't know I have any issues. The person in this chair knows that they have issues. They know that they have temptations that they can't overcome. They know that they have insecurities and fears. And they know even, they even sense that they're on a path to self-destruction. But when I pick up the gavel and I start judging and I start berating and I get all amped up and I get louder and I do all this stuff and I tell them what's in their eye, when they see that there's stuff in my own eye and in your own eye, it doesn't help them. In fact, it drives them deeper and deeper into their behavior. It actually makes their situation worse because they can't listen when there's something sticking out of my face while I'm trying to tell them about a speck in their own eye. So Jesus goes on, after he says, you hypocrite, he gives us the practical advice that we all need to hear. He says, first, take the plank out of your own eye. First, everybody say first. First, before you do anything, before you say anything, before you get on social media, first, take the plank out of your own eye. When something about you irritates me and it's just driving me crazy, chances are I have an issue. I have something in my eye and I can't see clearly enough to help you until I do something about what's inside of me. I need to look in the mirror first before I do anything, before I say anything. I need to look in the mirror. I need to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you search my heart? Psalm 139 says, search me and know me, O God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Oh God. That we would have the emotional intelligence in the moment where we're about to just go off on somebody else to back up, to zoom out, and to say, God, what is inside of me right now? He says, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then... Would you say, and then, and then? Come on, let's say it together. And then. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
So there is something wrong with them. Yes. I never said there wasn't anything wrong with them. But you have no business confronting somebody else, whether it's directly or it's passive aggressiveness or it's blanket statements that you're putting on social media. You have no business without first examining yourself and removing the log in your own eye. Then and only then will you and I see clearly enough to actually do someone good. See, when I come to terms with my own sin, it makes me a perfect candidate to talk to somebody else about their sin. I'm going to say that again. When I come to terms with my own sin, it makes me a perfect candidate to talk to somebody else about their sin. And haven't we seen this before? Have you ever seen this modeled in a healthy way? Someone who's gone through a journey of brokenness and repentance and have gone through a journey of trying to find healing and now all of a sudden they're in a position out of their own journey of repentance and healing that they can say, hey, I know what you're going through. I know the path that you're headed down. I've been there. I've done it. And I love you too much. I love you too much. I don't want to see you make the same mistakes that I did. When I'm tempted to pass judgment on you, I need to stop and look to see if there's a trace of the same thing inside of me. So I want to speak to three different groups that are in this room today. Some of you are sitting here, and as you've been processing all of this, you've been processing it all through the fact that, man, I feel like I'm living my life in this accused chair. Maybe you feel like your whole life people have been accusing you. It started with your mom, it was the teachers at school, it's the people you've been in relationship with. It just feels like everyone is always on your back. They are always criticizing. They're always nitpicking. They're always judging. They're always condemning. And so you've put up this posture, this defensiveness, where you just say, you're not supposed to judge me. You're not my judge. Christians aren't supposed to judge. Jesus said, do not judge. And that has become like your defensive posture. Perhaps the motivation of other people in your life is not to judge you, Perhaps their motivation is they love you and they love you so much that they are trying and maybe they do it wrong and maybe maybe they've messed it up but they're trying their hardest to help you to understand the direction that you're going in. And if you just keep throwing up the smoke screen, don't judge me, you'll never listen and you'll never grow. See, maturity, maturity is I listen to what people have to say and I don't just dismiss them out of hand. Maturity is, man, there might be a lot of junk in what they said, but I wonder if any of that is true. God, was any of that true in my life? Maybe God has been trying to get through to you. Maybe he's been sending someone in flesh and blood to say, I love you. I love you so much that I want you just to see yourself the way that others see you right now. Would you at least be open for the fact that God may be sending people into your life to help you? Not because they're trying to judge you and condemn you, but because they love you and they want you to grow. See, sometimes sometimes it becomes a place of victimhood, doesn't it? I mean, not for you, but maybe for other people, right? But if we're always in this chair, maybe, just maybe, God is trying to get our attention. Can I talk to the people in this room? So that's one category of people in this room that maybe, maybe you're just, you are always in the accused chair and you're always the victim and you're always the one who's being judged. 
Maybe, maybe you're in this chair, and can I just say, out of these three, this is me. I'm not proud of it. As I've been going through this over the last couple of weeks. I've just been so like, God, please, I don't want to be this person. But my bent is the criticism. My bent is I see things very black and white. I, my bent is that, that I'm quick to voice my opinion about things that I don't even need to voice my opinion about. A couple of weeks ago, we're at Cedar Point. And when Carrie and I, we're, we're now at this age that when we go to Cedar Point, we go to Cedar Point to eat. We're in line, and if you haven't been to Cedar Point recently, they have like a million people, and they have like five restaurants. So we have this meal plan that we bought, you know, a while back, and because we're good Christians, we're going to get our money's worth from that meal plan, and so we'll go to Cedar Point just to eat. We're in line, and it's a long line, and we're hungry, and there's too many people there. And this guy just starts butting through. Excuse me, I'm telling you, I, I was thinking judgment and I was saying judgment. I don't know the dude, I don't know his story, I don't know why he was budding in line, I don't know what was going on, but man, I just, and, I, and I've, been, I've been reading this passage and meditating on this passage and the Holy Spirit was just like, you knucklehead, what is it going to take for you? Listen, I spend way too much time in this chair. And I, can I tell you my experiences, the longer that we are Christians, and especially sometimes we get in this place where we are reading the Bible, but we're reading the Bible almost for information rather than for transformation. And we know all the stuff, and we, know, we got the Royal Ranger Code memorized, and we, we've got it, and I love Jesus, yes I do, and we know all, and, and it's so easy to get in this chair and to just start lobbing criticisms, because I know everything. If you find yourself too often sitting in this chair, can I just encourage you that you don't, this doesn't have to be your place of residency. You don't have to judge everything that's going on around you. You don't have to judge every driver who's on the road around you. Sometimes you just don't know their story. You can cut some slack. You don't have to say everything that enters your head. As a parent, this has been so hard, and I won't even make eye contact with my wife right now, but you know what? I don't have to address every issue that my kids have. Thank you. <laughs> She's like, you don't have to make eye contact. I'll let the whole church know. <laughs> right? Right? I mean... So, so here's my challenge, if you, and you know it, because right now you're just like, yeah, that's me. Or if you don't know it, I'm praying the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you this week. <laughs> you don't need to nudge anybody next to you. You don't need to help them. If this is you, just, can we just realize I don't have to always sit in this chair? Can, can I address a third group? We don't have the chair up here, but you know what? I do think that there's some of us that sit, it's, there's the accuser chair and the accused chair, but there's also the avoider chair. And the avoider chair has been around church in the Bible just long enough to know Jesus says don't judge. And so I'm just gonna never, ever put myself in a situation of correcting another individual. And we use do not judge as the scapegoat to keep us from ever having difficult conversations. 
And can I just challenge you in life, in marriage, in parenting, in working at a job that has other people working there too, there are times where we have to have difficult conversations. There are times where we have to say, hey, I've tried processing this. I've asked the Lord to show me if there's anything inside of me. I've asked him for compassion. I've asked him for wisdom to know when to say this and how to say this and what is the right time to say this. I've worked through all that, but I've got to have this conversation because otherwise it's just going to be the same cycle. Maybe you're in here and you're the avoider. And this sermon actually up to this point, you're like, oh good, I don't ever have to say that. I don't ever have to do that, right? I just want to challenge you, Jesus had hard conversations. Remember John chapter 4, he's talking to this woman in the middle of the conversation because just, she just kept distracting, she just kept getting off the issue. And Jesus says, hey, hey, why don't you go get your husband and we'll continue the conversation. And she just went, oh, I don't have a husband. Yeah, because you've been married a bunch of times and the guy you're living with, you're not even married to. Jesus says that. The guy who said in Matthew 7, do not judge. He was doing it out of a place of wanting to bring correction. And in the process, she is saved and her whole community is transformed. I could give you other examples, but here's what I'm trying to say. Like, if you're an avoider, don't use this sermon to keep you from having the difficult conversations that you need to have. Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus could sit in this chair and do it right. He could judge, and he's the perfect judge. He never makes a mistake in his judgment. Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus also knows what it was to sit in this chair. Was, was Jesus ever accused? Some of you are like, I don't know, was he? Yeah, he was. He really was. Like there was a group of people that Jesus could do nothing right. He'd heal somebody. I mean, somebody who had been like lame, for, he would heal them and they'd be like, wrong day. Should have healed him on a different day. He once healed somebody and they said, I think he's demon possessed. They said that about Jesus. Like, he could do nothing right in their eyes. They were constantly lobbing accusations and condemning him and questioning his motivation. He know if you're sitting here, I want you to know Jesus knows this chair. Maybe you've been falsely accused at work. Maybe you've had people lie about you, lie about your reputation. They've been so, like, nasty. Jesus, Jesus knows this territory. In fact, it got to the place where their lies... And their accusations led him to be falsely accused and falsely uh, uh, sentenced and brutally beaten and horrifically executed. Jesus knows. You can go to him. He knows. And he loves you and he sees you. In all of these things, Jesus is our example. Jesus is our model. Jesus is the one that we go to. And when you find yourself struggling, you can say, Jesus, help me to think like you. Jesus, this person has me amped up and I don't even know. Have you ever been in a situation, there's just somebody and I, I don't know what it is about them. Why? They just wind me up. In those moments, I just need to get alone and just say, Jesus, help me. Because there's something going on inside of me and I don't even completely understand it.
help me because I don't want to say something. I don't want to do something that's going to blow up this relationship. Help me. That's a great prayer, by the way. Help me. Just help me. So would you stand to your feet this morning? There's so much more that we could say, but here's my prayer. This is my prayer for myself. I'm not praying something for you that I'm not praying for myself. I've been praying, God, your Holy Spirit is my counselor. So Holy Spirit, would you, in those moments where I'm about to go down and get really comfortable in this chair, would you convict me? Holy Spirit, in those moments, I'm about to say something and it's going to be overly critical and it's going to be judgy in a damaging way. Jesus, help me. Do we all want that? Yeah, because we all want healthy relationships, right? We all need to think like Jesus. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we come before you humbly. We come before you going, man, we have not done this very well at times. Forgive us. And God, not just forgive us individually, forgive us as a church. For all the times we've gotten this wrong, God, forgive us. Would you empower us by your Holy Spirit to speak truth, yes, but to speak it full of grace and full of love. That the name of Jesus would be exalted in our families, in our workplaces, in our community, in our world. That the name of Jesus would be exalted. Help us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, come back next week. We're going to continue. We got more to look at in Matthew chapter 7. We'll see you guys later.